Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And it's the start of a new week, which means it's time for a new interview on yes. Future Quake. Yes. And we have a f- show favorite that is back to the show this week. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Chris Pinto, who mm-hmm. is the CEO of Adullam Films and director of a new documentary called The Kinsey Syndrome. And this is going to be an incredible show. Uh, the, the theme is going to be uh, the menacing cultural legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey today and in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, having seen, seen an advanced copy of the film, uh, I was stunned. This, is an un- this will be an unforgettable show. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into stuff that is just so, mm-hmm. so different than anything you've ever been exposed to. You won't know what to make right. of it. And I don't but rec- it's all true. Right. I don't rec- recommend you have kids listen to this if you're in a car listening to it. Uh, particularly uh, later on yeah. in the interview, but it's things that need to be heard. And, in fact, we need to leave now and go on to the interview. But uh, with no further ado, here is uh, Brother Chris Pinto of Adullam Films talking about his new production, The Kinsey Syndrome. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And we have come back with... Uh, one of our original guests that yeah. we had, I think our first guest when we went to our new format with the Future Quake yes, show. Yes, indeed. One of our most popular uh, uh, guests that we have on our show, Mr. Chris Pinto, who is the CEO of Adullam Films and director of a new documentary that he has out that's just hit the streets called The Kinsey Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And tonight we're going to talk about the menacing cultural legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey today and in the future. And I just want to say, uh, uh, Mr. Pinto is uh, one of our most popular Future Quake guests and one whose productions have generated more talk on the street, I think, than any others we are aware of. I just want to welcome you back for yet another visit. Well, thank you so much for having me, Future. It's good to be back on the show. Well, Tom and I both uh, just really look forward to having you on our show, and we have really enjoyed... uh, our interactions with you on a bunch of different levels, uh, in, including our visits here on Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, we, we can't wait to uh, begin discussing tonight uh, another new cataclysmic production from your organization. Yeah, you know, every every film that you put out gets a little bit more uh, earth-changing, earth-shattering yeah, for just, me. Yeah, just when you think he's topped yeah. out. Yeah, this, this, new one was, this new one was something else. It was amazing. Well, 
Well, that me- means a lot coming from you, Tom. I mean, it's, uh, your your comments, because I sent you guys, for those who don't know, an, an early copy, because uh, yes. I wanted you to watch it and tell me what you thought about it. But it uh, it's, it's encouraging because, um, on the one hand, you like the production, but on the other hand, I think it had the desired effect in terms mm-hmm. of uh, generating a certain amount of what I believe is righteous indignation right. about yeah. what's happening in our country. Yeah. Well, we we also know you gave it to us because we were considered giants within Christian media. A kind of kingmakers. <laughs> kingmakers was the word I was thinking makers, of too. Yes. So I know you were trying to curry our favor yeah. uh, with that. I couldn't tell you. We get literally. Five? No, maybe no other ones sent to <laughs> I was us. I going to say, wait a minute, where's uh, he going with this? We've gotten other stuff? Well, <laughs> How come I, you're holding out on? I guess we should move on here. Uh, since I know you and the uh, listeners have got to be curious about this, with this visit uh, today, you hereby join the Future Quake three-visit guest club. Praise the Lord. I hope you're excited about that. That has moved you now, in case you were wondering, up to fifth on the all-time uh, number of Future Quake visits. Uh, in, in competition with other guests, and that ties you with fellow luminaries, Dr. Melissa Riley, David Lowe, and Dr. Jerome Corsi. Wow, now Jerome Corsi, he, there's a busy guy. Yeah, yeah there's so, a busy kidding. guy. So I hope, you've in, I hope you haven't been detained like he has yeah. on other continents. Yeah. Ever yeah. um, been to a canyon jail or anything? Or? Well, no, since you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he gets arrested over there in Hawaii. Uh, that that'll be the very interesting thing. Have you guys followed his, uh, his yeah. journey over there? Yeah, uh, I didn't know about the Hawaii journey. What, is he trying to uncover some more data? Yeah, about, he went uh, there and they denied him denied him access to the official birth certificate of Barack Obama. Well, that's interesting because they just threw out that lawsuit. Yeah, uh, right. about the guy I want to know uh, about Barack Obama. Yeah, well, you know. Right. Oh, I, I'm sure there's nothing to see here. Just move along. Yeah. Um, since you have been on our show a few times, uh, brother Chris. Uh, we advise our newer listeners to Future Quake to uh, to listen to earlier Chris Pinnell interviews that we what we've done here in our archive at futurequake.com uh, to get details regarding your background, your very fascinating background and testimony. As an alternative, could you very briefly share with our listeners about what is the purpose of the Dullum Films and some examples of documentaries you've previously released? Well, the purpose of the Dullum Films is is to uh, to demonstrate through research and, and through the documentary format, the filmmaking format, but we do mostly documentaries, um, to demonstrate that God's word is true uh, and that, it's, that, that God's prophecies, as recorded in the scriptures, are coming to pass uh, in the world right before our eyes. Mm-hmm. And we have a special focus on prophecy. We take it from, uh, as other ministries do as well, Isaiah 46, 9, and 10, mm-hmm. where... Uh, God says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. And so this prophecy is the one way that God distinguishes himself from all else that could be called God, and so on. Uh, Revelation 19.10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And throughout prophecy, Old Testament and New, we find the Lord Jesus Christ uh, being shown to us in, in pictures and archetypes and uh, various situations and so on, uh, both his, uh, you know, the foretelling of his first coming, and then of course the prophecies concerning his second coming. Uh, we believe all these things uh, will come to pass in due time, mm-hmm. and so that's that's one side of Adalim films. But another side is uh, Ezekiel chapter 22, which for me is a a, a critical verse 
where God is reproving through Ezekiel uh, the priests, uh, the priesthood in the Old Testament. And he says, her priests mean Jerusalem. Uh, her priests have violated my laws and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Uh, neither have they shown difference between the unclean and the clean. And uh, as, as members of, of uh, the priesthood of all believers, uh, we believe it's our responsibility as Christians to show that difference between the holy things of God and the profane things that are not of God. And the movement, you know, part of this New World Order movement, this uh, global society that's unfolding, is blending all of, uh, all of the world together, not just the nations of the earth, but also the beliefs, the religions of the world are being blended together as one, and Christianity is being included as just one religion among many. And that was one of the first things that struck me when I began my research years ago, uh, that verse and uh, the need to pursue holiness and to encourage uh, my fellow believers to do the same. The scripture says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so uh, that holiness, the word holy means separate, uh, and God commands that we come out from them, come out from uh, the pagan uh, religions, the pagan practices, and so on, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will be your God and you will be my people. So uh, that's a, also a very important part of uh, the work that I believe we're doing here at Adelm Films. Hmm. Okay. So, so you have a, a large prophetic component, and then because that pursuit actually has certain specialty areas that impact us in the here and now, you do special projects like, uh, like, like this one we're going to talk tonight, the Kinsey Syndrome, because it, it really merits its own independent documentary, but even it can be dovetailed into a greater prophetic theme, correct? Oh, I believe so, absolutely. Um, and in fact, um, the, the greater prophetic theme to me for Kinsey is, is the Lord foretelling that, uh, you know, as it was in the days of Lot, mm -hmm. Lot who dwelt at Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And uh, with Kinsey and this Kinsey syndrome, this uh, sort of uh, shockwave impact that Kinsey and his research and so on have had upon our society, and, and really, if, if we could have gone on for a couple of more hours, we could have shown how it went around the world um, Wow! through the sexual revolution. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting study. We'll talk about it, but right. just to give you an idea, over in Africa, one of the things that's talked about is all the people there who are dying of AIDS now. Mm -hmm. uh, but prior to Kinsey, that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. right. It took time, wow. however, for the sexual revolution to go across the water, reach the African people. Uh, prior to that, they had been, uh, I'm not defending Islam, mm -hmm. but they were predominantly Muslim, and uh, their marriages were all contained, you know, mm -hmm. like as, right. as they are in Islam. And so you didn't have the widespread uh, sexually transmitted diseases. With uh, the, When the sexual revolution hit them, however, and they developed more mm -hmm. liberal ideas about sexuality that's what or that's what is said by some researchers to have opened a door of promiscuity that then ushered in uh the the devastation that's affecting them now well you're right we're going to talk about some of these details here uh, as this evolves over the interview but uh it seems like to me an overarching theme is never underestimate the power of a single individual whether that power be for good or be for evil the uh, we we tend to think about the uh, impact of the masses and um, 
people who are well-moneyed institutions and organizations, but one individual can do an incredible amount of benefit or incredible harm, and the, the reverberations of it is just like a stone falling in a, into a, a lake. The, the, the waves can just extend far beyond where its point of origin is. Right. Well, that's certainly... Uh... I mean, I think that that's true of uh, each of us as Christians. We can, uh, what's, what's the old saying, you know, uh, that, that we should be careful in our walk of faith because we, we might be the only Bible that anyone ever reads. Right. Yeah. Um, that's one side of it. The other side, of course, is, is the side of Kinsey. He, here he is, one man, uh, but he had this terrible uh, ripple effect. Uh, in society, now of course he had a lot of help, and and we can talk about that as we go along. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, right. just one man's commitment to corruption and perversion. Well, uh, let's had, right. go ahead. Let's jump right into it. Um, and, and I have to first ask you, what was the catalyst that spurred you to take on the uh, Kinsey Syndrome documentary project, and and what became the main purpose and goal this documentary is intended to accomplish? Well, I had done um, I'd done our first two documentaries, Megiddo One and Megiddo Two, mm-hmm. or actually the yeah two two of the first that we did. Anyway, and they were shown on Sky Angel, which is a Christian network. And Sky Angel liked the work, and they put me in touch. In in time, they they got in touch with me through a guy named James Lambert, who wrote the book uh, Porn in America. And James called me up and started talking to me about doing a documentary on the issue of pornography and how it's it has a devastating impact in the church and in the world and society and so on. So he and I were talking about this and and uh, trying to I was trying to figure out okay well how do you make a documentary on this subject it's a hard subject and then um, through James I came in touch with Dr. Judith Reisman. And when I went to interview her, um, we were talking to her, but she kept relating things back to Alfred Kinsey. And I knew about Kinsey, but I didn't know a lot about him. So and, so you started this project as just a general expose in pornography, but it sort of took a different route, in my understanding, you right? Exactly. That's okay. exactly what happened. Mm. And then Dr. Reisman said, well, look, if you want to understand the porn industry and how our country has been turned upside down with... Uh, the issue of, you know, immorality. Uh, if you want to understand that, you have to deal with Kinsey. And, of course, Dr. Reisman, she's a former Department of Justice researcher. Uh, mm-hmm. Her research has been used by the FBI, by the OJJDP. It's been used by governments uh, around the world. She's considered the leading expert uh, on the damaging influence of, uh, of Kinsey and the porn industry on society. And so she's often... Uh, consulted as an expert and her research is used over and over again um but anyway she said yeah you've got to understand kinsey if you want to understand how this whole thing happened and so that's what eventually gave us the i think the framework to make this documentary in a way that's that's watchable without becoming my concern was that it would become a stumbling block Mm-hmm. And in trying to talk about the subject, you can end up introducing material, you know. And I've seen some documentaries mm-hmm. on on the issue of uh, the world of porn and this kind of thing, and it becomes it's just a nightmare to try and watch it. Sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. you want to do stories on the news at night. Sometimes they'll they'll show you know scenes from a strip club or something like that, 
It's just very difficult to watch. I don't want to put that in front of my eyes, and I don't mm-hmm. want to do that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Kinsey with Kinsey, because this is happening in the 1930s and 40s, there's a lot of historical information, a lot of visual stuff and documentation and so on. And you can talk about it and still avoid some of those pitfalls. And so that was the uh, that seemed like the best route to go. Hmm. Wow! And so that's kind of how it kind of how it unfolded. And, and, and what what is the purpose that you hope to accomplish? Well, to make people aware of the uh, to make people aware of just how how our daily lives are affected, even now, uh, how our lives, our marriages, our relationships, uh, our children's lives. Uh, why certain things are happening in society? Yeah. I mean, we, what we what we narrowed it down to was focusing on America's children because uh, we could talk about this at a lot of different levels, but you get people with different views about well, I don't necessarily agree this or that or whatever, but most people agree that we should, as a society, protect children, that we should take care of our kids. And uh, and that's really the heartbreaking side of this whole thing, is yeah. what Kinsey did to children and the impact of what he did is affecting us worse today than ever before in history. Uh, Kinsey is the reason why, I believe, that we've got so many uh, uh, sexual predators out there who are kidnapping and raping and in some cases murdering uh, these kids. And so the question we ask on the back of our DVD uh, box is, why are America's children disappearing? Right. You know, that's the first question. Why is this happening? Why does this seem to happen uh, at such an alarming rate? And uh, we've got, you know, the the conservative estimate is that we've got 58,200 children a year in this country that are kidnapped by non-family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, the numbers are much higher when you bring in, you know, like a divorce situation, the husband or the wife runs off with the kids, that kind of thing, uh, or a family member takes off, or you have runaways and, and that sort of thing. Those numbers are much higher. But where you're talking about underage kids kidnapped by, you know, the stranger, the, mm-hmm. the, the typical uh, scenario that parents fear, 58,200 every year. And according to the uh, Department of Justice and their NYSMART report, um, at least half those kids are sexually assaulted mm-hmm. in a way that is provable. Um, and so you're talking about 29,000-plus kids that are kidnapped and raped in our country every year. Now, not Man. all of those kids are murdered, uh, but, but that's, that's, just a, that's just a huge number. And the media should be talking about this at a, at a. I mean, it's great that they show the stories, you know, of, mm-hmm. and follow the uh, individuals, right? The yeah. individual accounts, but the greater problem it seems to be sort of pushed mm-hmm. under the carpet. Right. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting that we're recording this right now, right at the time of Halloween, because what this makes America to be is one huge haunted house, and we have ghouls. Who are going around in real life yeah, that are not terrorizing? Masks, but they're yeah. every bit as bad as they're, what you read about. They're terrorizing right. our children, and it's and it's not a dream; it's it's a reality. Uh, someone who we interviewed recently that w- we should put you in touch with here locally is Miss Colette Berkew. 
who yeah. has a, uh, a ministry uh, to those who are sold into sex slavery around the world. And according to her data from the government, I, I recollect she said that something more on the order of about 300,000 children in the U.S. are actually brought into yeah. sex slavery it's per just, her data. Yeah, it's so wow, but, it's huge. But I know she would really like to probably see your documentary to be able to explain to people why we're in the situation that we're in. So um, I, I think she's someone who her and her husband and their ministry you'd really respect, uh, and it could be a real service for them because this would be something that people could see and suddenly realize, well, we got in this situation uh, right now. Now, what I'm going to ask you is sort of a, a, a large hunk to bite off here, but uh, uh, could you explain to our listeners basically the scope of Dr. Kinsey's research and some of his more notable uh, published works and, and who sponsored them? Well, Kinsey's, uh, I mean, his, his very famous works, the Kinsey Reports. Uh, the Kinsey Reports, which are two, two publications, uh, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male and then Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically, they're, they're called the Kinsey Reports, the Kinsey Sex Reports. Um, the first on the male volume was released in 1948, and then the female was released in 1953. And they essentially turned the country upside down. If you go back and you study that period, uh, I mean, they were likened to dropping an atom bomb on American society because wow. the, the statistics that were being given were so shocking. It, it gave Americans this, you know, they, it, it was as, as though this whole other world of sexual perversion was going on in your next-door neighbor's life that you didn't know anything about. That's the way Kinsey uh, portrayed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what's been uncovered from the time those reports were published is that Kinsey used fraudulent data. Uh, Kinsey, uh, what he was reporting about the American people at that time was largely untrue. Uh, nevertheless, just the way that it was presented, that it's being presented by this very official scientist who's being funded in part by the U.S. government via the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, the other part you know, their their names come up a lot on our show. I yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like every show they they, they they got their hands involved with something creepy. We, we wouldn't have much right. of a show if it wasn't for the Rockefellers because yeah. they provide us all sorts of fodder. They they came up on Documentary Night too on Endgame too. So mm-hmm. they well, they, guys, they say hello to you, Chris. By the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, hi to them if any of them are are uh, are listening. Oh, I'm but sure they're regular. I bet they are, actually, yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, here, have you guys talked about Norman Dodd on the show? No. No, we haven't. Well, we, we show a brief clip uh, of Norman Dodd. Norman Dodd was the director of research for a congressional committee in the 1950s called the Reese Committee. And this was founded by Congressman B. Carroll Reese. Most people don't know about it because it was marginalized by left-wing media at the time something talked about by not only, uh, well, there's the book Foundations, Their Power and Influence, by Renee Wormser. Wormser was the lawyer for the Reese Committee, and he writes about that, or, or they're in the introduction. Uh, B. Carroll Reese writes part of the introduction. He talks about how media was going to come against them. Uh, and Carol Quigley, in his book Tragedy and Hope, Carol Quigley, for those who don't know, was the mentor to uh, uh, President Bill Clinton when he was at Georgetown University. Right. Uh, 
Um, so Quigley, in his book, Tragedy and Hope, he also mentions the Reese Committee, and because he's talking about these, these clandestine groups that are working behind the scenes to bring about this global elite society, this new world order that they've been working on for years. And he says that there have been different groups that have gotten close to exposing this plan, and one of them was the Reese Committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Now, so let me talk- make sure people understand these foundations. I, I sort of consider them like the, the sixth column of, of institutions and society. I think the media is called the fifth column. But, right. but, but these independent uh, uh, groups are, are were very wealthy people like Carnegie's, Rockefeller's, Ford's, and others – use their money with basically no oversight to create a world uh, that they desire in their own image or one that they want to create with virtually no oversight, huge sums of money that rival the government, and they completely are unleashed and and often work in conjunction together to control our education, to control the raising up of leaders through scholarships they provide and things like that. And they are probably one of the most effective but, but least understood and noticed arms of of world government and actions behind the scene to our detriment, correct? I would say correct. I mean, the, the the interesting thing about Dodd's testimony is we just we show it in Kinsey in the context of the education system and how uh, Dodd and the Reese Committee. What had happened was, if you if you listen to Dodd's full account, um, the the Reese Committee came together to investigate these tax exempt foundation, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, the Guggenheim and the Carnegie Endowment, because these they were giving all kinds of money to individuals and to groups and so on for scientific study, academic research, historical study, and this kind of thing. Uh, that a lot of, that that looks very benevolent, you know, looks very oh they're they're supporting this and they're supporting that. Isn't that wonderful? But the Reese Committee noticed that they were supporting all of these left-wing, sort of Marxist, socialist, uh, you know, people with a a very strong anti-American kind of approach to their work that was uh, pointed uh, strongly against Americans' traditional Judeo-Christian values Mm -hmm. and constantly questioning our Judeo-Christian values. But these people kept getting the money. They kept getting... You know the the mm-hmm. financial support from these groups, and so the Reese Committee was like, "Wait a minute! This they're using tax exempt dollars to basically control uh, this this sort of uh, academic subculture that's not being a subculture anymore. It's coming into the foreground, and it's controlling the thinking of our children." Now, this is something that's talked about a lot today among conservatives. But many people don't realize that this was going on back in the 1950s. This is where the groundwork for it was being laid. Wow. In fact, the, the the people that they trained from a time of college or even before then on, those are the people who are in leadership right now, the people they had yeah, taken exactly. under their wing back then, yeah. correct? Exactly. And, they were, and the thing that uh, Dodd talks about was that they had, well, what had happened was they, they gained access to their records, okay, uh, to go and read the minutes from the early back in like 1901 to all the way up to this is in the 1950s, and so there was a woman who was a female lawyer who was working with them, and she was skeptical because she thought it was a kind of witch hunt or something, and, and thought, well, 
you know, these are these foundations do a lot of good things for society. We don't, you know, why are we looking into them, this kind of thing. And so Dodd said, okay, since you're skeptical, I want you to be the one to go and look at their records and read their minutes and so on, and, and you you conduct the investigation on it. And uh, go take a few weeks and examine it, bring a team with you, and then you come back tell me what you find. And Dodd says that she went up there, she looked at their records, and when she came back some weeks later, he says she was practically insane. She was ruined because she couldn't believe what she had uncovered. And, uh, I mean, to, to understand the full scope of it, you'd have to mm-hmm. watch all of Dodd's testimony and so on. But it was a, it was a, a well-thought-out, orchestrated plan uh, to take control of certain elements of the United States, uh, well, certainly our education system. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if education. you do that, if you, if you do that, and you have enough time, you can control everything else. Absolutely. If you, if you're willing to take your time, you control the the worldview, uh, the way that information is processed by young people. Then basically, you can just feed them anything you want at that particular point, and that's what we get for uh, government controlled education. Or any education by people that are out of our control uh, of, the, of the family itself, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, did, did anyone record her testimony or what she had seen or what she had relayed? Oh, that's a good question. And I think Dodd made mention of, uh, of a recording, but I can't remember the full context of it. But, but Dodd's testimony is recorded. Again, okay. we okay. show part of it. Because part of what the the Reese Committee looked into was they were looking into everybody that was being funded by these foundations. And uh, so they started to look into Kinsey, okay, because he Mm -hmm. was being funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. But when they went to investigate Kinsey, as uh, Rene Wormser records in his book, he says they were opposed, they were vehemently opposed by a guy named Congressman Wayne Hayes. Mm-hmm. And Congressman Hayes, when he found out they were investigating Kinsey, uh, Wormser says that he flew into the steaming rage, you know, and, and threatened to, you know, de- defund the entire committee, and that everybody on the on the United States Congress would be uh, uh, against their looking into Kinsey or any of the Kinsey research and so on. So as a result, they ended up giving up all of their data on Kinsey. To uh, to Wayne Hayes, and then you know their their Kinsey research apparently, from what Wormser says, never saw the light of day, as it were. So we asked the question. We use this partly to set up the documentary, and to say, okay, what was in the Kinsey file that was so secret? What was in the Kinsey file that caused this guy to flip out mm-hmm. and and to fly into this steaming rage, as it were? Uh, what did he know? And when he says all the members of Congress, was he just throwing, you know, those words around, or, or were there more people involved? And exactly what were they involved in? And uh, and it's very, very disturbing when you find out everything that Kinsey was involved in and how he worked with. Uh, and I know we're going to get to this mm-hmm. here shortly, but yeah. how he worked with pedophiles and so on. It's almost one of the biggest secrets of that era because, you know, people look with rose-colored glasses to the 50s, and I think if you look at the average home, probably the average home was a pretty well-adjusted home compared to today, 
But there were elements like this, at least the seeds of them, that were going on that we forget out of our past, that were going on simultaneously. And I find also this curious connection again with the post-war era. You're, you know, you talk about work that was published in 1948, work in the late 40s where you have uh, Aleister Crowley involved on the West Coast. You have other right. occult work uh, uh, done by Jack Parsons and other people. You have things going on with the Dead Sea Scrolls being found, atomic weapons going off, the founding of the Nation of Israel. It seems like something spiritually, uh, and much of it dark, was all going on in just a few-year period in our world's history then, was mm-hmm. it not? Yeah, it's, it's very, very strange, uh, this whole era, you know, with uh, Lester Crowley, Manley P. Hall, FDR, you know, this guy, uh, in fact, in, in another film that I'll come back and we'll talk about when we get it finished, I of Phoenix, we talk about this guy, Nicholas Rorick, he's from mm-hmm. that whole era. A lot of strange, mystical characters uh, that that were involved in, in the, the geopolitics of, of the World War II era just before and immediately after. Influential um, positions. And, and a little thing like Roswell that pops up there, too, which has a legacy from that period yeah. of time. Exactly. So, and so this is the environment that Kinsey's in the middle of. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is where Kinsey, it, through the 1930s and 40s, because he published, he was doing his research for years before he published it in in 1948. He he was doing his research through World War II. He and his team members were, you know, got a pass. They didn't have to go to war because uh, Kinsey said, well, what we're doing is is far more important for society, uh, and uh, huh. that was his excuse. Huh. Gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they didn't realize his work was as a saboteur. No kidding. Not only that, but as Dr. Reisman says, uh, you know, she's the expert on Kinsey, really, but she calls him uh, the the greatest American traitor of all time. Because not only were he and his team members, uh, you know, did they not go to war, but Kinsey was corresponding with a Nazi pedophile. He's working with a Nazi pedophile, a guy who's a member of the Gestapo, uh, who had charge over a town in in Poland, uh, and this guy was molesting the the Polish children there, and mm-hmm. threatening them and telling them that if you know that that they either had to give in to his desires or they were going to go to the smokestacks or or be killed mm-hmm. and thrown in you know the ovens or whatever, and uh, and so he apparently molested potentially hundreds of children. Oh, man. Uh, and and was corresponding with Kinsey and sending Kinsey this information, you know, like keeping a detailed mm-hmm. record uh, and then mailing this information back and forth to Kinsey. Now, all of this came out years after the war in the 1950s because uh, over in Germany, which is where this guy ended up, his name was uh, Dr. Fritz von Balusek, and uh, he was on trial, he was brought in, in the 1950s, under suspicion of having murdered uh, a little girl who had been found, you know, mm-hmm. naked and throttled on a piece of wasteland, um, and the reason they suspected him was because her name apparently was in his uh, diary that he kept. He kept this elaborate mm-hmm. di- diary with a pseudo scientific information and so on, and her name was in there as one of the children that he was molesting. And then she turns up dead. So they suspected him. But while they were investigating this whole thing, they discovered, you know, his his 
pseudo-scientific tellings of how he'd molested these kids, and he's recording their responses uh, with a stopwatch down to the tenth of a second and so on, and then they found correspondence from Alfred Kinsey in mm. his diaries, mm-hmm. and that he and Kinsey had been corresponding for years. Apparently. So these are the kind of company that he kept, much of which was funded with taxpayer dollars. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Well, this let me is just one one of his right. you know, yeah. pedophiles. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the scope of Dr. Kinsey's quote unquote work? Well, uh, if if I can talk just a little bit more, there was a British documentary done years ago, about ten twelve years ago, called Kinsey's Pedophiles, and we show some key clips from it in mm-hmm. Kinsey Syndrome uh, because I think it's very very important. It's where some of Kinsey's team members are admitting that, uh, because in the Kinsey reports, and there have been other works that have been done on this, uh, uh, years ago the Family Research Council did a, mm-hmm. a short film called The Children of Table 34. Mm-hmm. And it's in Kinsey's tables, he had all of his scientific tables showing sexual data on you know men and women and so on, but he had his tables for children. And in these tables for kids, he's got children as young as two months old that are being recorded uh, as having these timed orgasms. Okay, so it'll say number of orgasms. And these are one, and these are kids, right? Two months old. Yeah. Two months old, three months old, six yeah. months old. Virtual months babies. Old. Yeah, babies all the way up to, you know, nine, ten years old and so on. Um, and... For, for whatever reason, I guess because the reports were so voluminous, nobody had ever really noticed these tables or thought to question them until Dr. Judith Reisman came along in the 1970s and 80s and began examining uh, Kinsey's data. Now, back in the 1950s, with the Reese Committee, you had a guy named Dr. Albert Hobbs, and he noticed that Kinsey's philosophy, because Kinsey was into promoting pedophilia, and he argued that pedophilia was perfectly normal and that the only reason society was against it was because of our, you know, Victorian puritanical values and, and so on, uh, and said that the real harm that was done to children when they were molested, but he wouldn't, call, he wouldn't use the word molested, mm-hmm. uh, but when they had sexual contact, he would say, with an adult, the real harm done to them was not that they had contact with an adult, but that the parents or police officers mm-hmm. or lawyers and so on would find out about it, and they would get so upset. They would, they would shame them shame them about it? Well, not necessarily shame them about it. Is that they would get hysterical. They would, mm-hmm. they would act like there was something wrong, and mm-hmm. then the child then, Kinsey said, he said, this is what mm-hmm. really harms the child. It's your reaction to it. It's not what what's actually happened to the child. Right, but what psychologists will say is is that when you when you say that something like that they've done is is wrong, you impose a feeling of shame on people, which is the, still oh. what they're teaching today. Right. Uh, when we have when we have actions like that that are shocking, like that, what they say is you're shaming me, you're 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 mm-hmm. doing this, and this is what's causing the real harm to people. So you know those legacies are still there uh, today. Uh, what why? Did he feel the need to use children? Now, he may have had his own nefarious purposes for it, but why did he argue why he needed funded work to use children for this work, and what was he supposed to approve or demonstrate with this work? 
Well, he was what he wanted to prove. He wanted to prove that children were sexual from birth. That's what he wanted to prove. He wanted to prove that from the time a child is born, they are a sexual creature, and that there's there is nothing wrong with a child of any age being in, engaged in sexual activity by an adult in particular. By an adult. I mean, yeah, that would be, mm -hmm. you know, kids of themselves generally don't do that. Uh, and that's part of the inconsistency of Kinsey's mm -hmm. claims and so on. Uh, and in fact, the, you know, the, the most diabolical part of this, just going back to his whole description that the children are not being harmed, is if you read the tables. And well, well let, me, let me finish, uh, let, let me restructure this a little mm -hmm. bit. Because we're talking about how in the 70s and 80s Dr. Reisman comes along. She finds these tables, right? And she's seeing, okay, orgasms and then the time of the orgasm. And it's saying, you know, like a six-month-old baby has an orgasm in uh, 24.8 seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay, That kind of information right. is being set down. Very anybody, clinical. Yeah. yeah, anybody can go get a copy of the Kinsey Reports right now. And you can go read this. Just look for tables 31 through 34, and you, you can read it for yourself. Um, and so Dr. Reisman said, now, wait a minute. Wait, you know, where did Kinsey get this information? Mm -hmm. How does he know that a six-month-old has an orgasm in, you know, 15.8 seconds or whatever? Where did he get that? Somebody would have to somehow or other be engaging this infant because the child's not going to do it on their own and then somehow or other time this information down to the tenth of a second with a stopwatch, okay? And come to find out, you know, over years of research and inquiry and investigation, Dr. Reisman discovered that that's exactly what was happening. Oh, it was that Kinsey was working with pedophiles, training them to use stopwatches and to record the pseudo-scientific information while they were molesting these kids. And the response to these children, I'm sure they were reacting in horror, and it sounded like they were interpreting it as an or orgasm experience when, in fact, these kids are just acting out in horror to what's, you know, what's happening to them. Well, what Kinsey says is he says, you know, uh, recognizing orgasm in children is very difficult, he says, because of, quote, the lack of ejaculate, end mm -hmm. quote, uh, because there's no physical response from a child. That, mm -hmm. that, that adults have where you can really tell that mm -hmm. um, so he said okay well how do how do you spot this so he's interviewing these pedophiles right mm -hmm. and they're molesting these kids and then he asks them okay well how do the children respond and they told him you know they're screaming they're crying they're in excruciating pain these are the words that he's using to describe uh, they have an abundance of tears, especially among younger children, he says. He writes that in, in his description. Uh, they're hitting, they're striking the person who's having sex with them. They're trying to get away. They're in, you know, they, they suffer loss of color. They faint. They vomit. These are all the things that he's describing as to the reactions of the children. But what Kinsey did was he took all of that information and he put it in different categories as different types of orgasms. Okay? He said, these children aren't suffering. No, these are orgasms that they're having. 
Now, where this really becomes diabolical for you and me and for families across America right now is that Kinsey then went to our judicial system across the country, and there were uh, you had the the American Law Institute and so on that was looking to reform their sex laws, and Kinsey came along now with his sex reports, and he said, well, we've proven scientifically that, uh, for example, when children encounter a pedophile, these children are not suffering any harm. We've got the scientific data here that says they're not being harmed. So it's not right that you should have such harsh penalties against these pedophiles because they're really not hurting these kids. That's what he said. And so as a result, the lawmakers across the country, one at a time eventually, lowered the penalties for uh, pedophiles, child molesters, and rapists, and so on. Because according to Kinsey, nobody was really being hurt by this behavior. Brother brother Chris, uh, I want people just to stop and meditate on that a little bit and think about the depravity where we've come and how that makes God, itself manifest. God help us. But, but I, but I want to, my, my response is when I see their, their uh, perverted view of taking science and, and perverting this, it seems like to me this, this clinical interpretation they have about this experience really says more about the pedophiles themselves and Dr. Kinsey himself than it does the subject because they're interpreting something that we would consider a, a horrifying response from someone, a traumatic response, is something pleasurable, which to me is a reflection of how they view the sexual experience themselves that are conducting the experiments. Right. I don't know if you would agree with me, but uh, Dr. Kinsey, I understand, had, well, and this shouldn't be surprising, had pretty strange views about his own personal sexuality and experiences himself. Can you share a little bit with our audience about what was it about unique about him or some anecdotes that suggest that he had a very uh, non-typical view about sexuality, how that may have made its way into his work? Well, certainly. I mean, Kinsey, Kinsey was a, uh, a sadomasochist. And I'm not saying that like off the cuff to just throw a name out there. He was literally a sadomasochist. Cl- clinically, he was. Yeah, clinically. You, yeah. You, you would define him that way. Uh, his biographers, who liked him and who approved of what he did and everything, they would describe him as a sadomasochist uh, because what he had done is he had so uh, perverted himself because he was, a, he, was a, he was a bisexual, homosexual, quite possibly a pedophile, um, although we can't prove that he was specifically was a pedophile, but, but we can prove his homosexuality and bisexuality. Of course, he was married. Um, those things are provably true. But he had gone so far with his sexuality that he couldn't be, he just wasn't satisfied with any kind of normal experience. So he was into inflicting all kinds of pain upon himself. And a couple of the things that he did was, at one point, uh, he circumcised himself with, uh, with like a pocket knife without oh. the benefit of anesthesia. Man. Okay. Uh, on another occasion, when he, uh, oh, when he he started to get in trouble, when some of the pedophile data was coming out through the Reese Committee, some of it began to come out with under Albert Hobbs. 
and that Kinsey was saying that child molesters could be beneficial for children. He was he mm-hmm. says things like that in the Kinsey reports. And so Rockefeller, of course, fearing a public scandal, they withdrew their funding from him. And when Kinsey found out about it, he was so depressed to relieve himself, he went down in the basement, apparently, of, I guess, the university, and there were ceiling pipes there, and he, he tied a rope around one of the ceiling pipes, stood on a chair, and then tied the other end around his scrotum, and then jumped off the chair. Oh. So, so, in other words, this man should have been institutionalized instead of being funded by institutions. Oh, of course. I mean, the guy, the guy was, the guy was demented. The guy had a very warped. I mean, you look at pictures of Kinsey. If you study just Kinsey pictures of the guy, the guy looks like something out of a Boris Karloff movie. Uh, in some of these photos of him, uh, and he just has a, you know, very sinister sort of look. His one of his closest friends, that is that is mentioned by the Kinsey Institute to this day, is Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger was uh, an occult filmmaker from the 1950s era, made all of these satanic movies, and he was the co-founder of the Church of Satan in San Francisco with Anton LaVey. I know a couple of his movies he produced was Invocation of My Demon Brother, which I think had Mick Jagger in it. Right. And his piece de resistance was Lucifer Rising. Right. uh, Which shows a, a rising Antichrist figure out of the Great Pyramid. And, and has pictures of uh, Aleister Crowley and, and other people that were part of it. And so, and I remember reading in some, um, some periodical that he said that each of his movies was an invocation to demons. And so he's a guy who's buddy buddy with Kinsey. Oh, now he was beyond buddy buddy. I mean, they had a, a very lengthy relationship, wrote letters to each other, corresponded, traveled together over to Sicily. To Cephalu, Sicily, where Aleister Crowley's Abbey Thelema was located. And there's a picture that we show in the documentary of Kinsey and Kenneth Anger uh, standing on either side of a picture of Aleister Crowley inside the Abbey Thelema. And uh, so they had a very close relationship. Kenneth Anger used to go to Kinsey's uh, home in Bloomington up in the attic, and Kinsey would film people doing different sexual things. This is Bloomington, Indiana, right in the heartland of the country. Absolutely. At the University of Indiana. That's where the Kinsey Institute is. Uh Um, But he would, he, uh, he, uh, by his own admission, I mean, Kenneth Anger admits this officially today, uh, that he was invited up there to, to do, perform certain sexual acts on camera for Kinsey. And, uh, and so, the Kinsey Institute to this day has a section of their library dedicated to Kenneth Anger and his relationship with Alfred Kinsey. And apparently, if you go on the Kinsey Institute website and you dig around for Kenneth Anger, you'll find they call him, I think they're calling him Dr. Anger now, and he still sends them correspondence and different sex toys and all this kind of crazy stuff from different parts of the world uh, whenever he comes across it. But this guy's an outright Satanist. I mean, he, I mean, anger is so much a Satanist. He's got the name Lucifer tattooed on his chest, and we show a picture of it in the film. Oh, he's a really great guy. I know the guy who did his music for uh, Lucifer Rising, Bobby Beausoleil, is, is actually still incarcerated for having been one of Charles Manson's killers. Right. 
and he was the guy that, that did his, his music for him. Can, can you tell us real quickly about why, I, maybe I missed this here, did you happen to say why he was in the Abbey Thelema? Well, what he was looking for, according to uh, uh, Wardell Pomeroy, Pomeroy was uh, part of Kinsey's original team, wrote the book uh, Doc, Dr. Kinsey and the Institute for Sex Research. Um, and in that book, he describes how Kinsey had... Uh, Kinsey went looking, went over to Europe, he went traveling, looking for the sex diaries of Aleister Crowley. And for those who don't know, I'm sure a lot of people in your audience know who Crowley was and that he was probably the foremost occultist, Satanist of the 20th century. But uh, he was known as the wickedest man in the world and so on. But his uh, sex diaries, apparently, because he had performed all of these bizarre rituals there at the Abbey Thelema, that gained a lot of attention uh, in the early part of the 20th century because somebody had died in one of his rituals. And some man who had been hired by Crowley took part in some ritual, ended up being poisoned by uh, drinking cat's blood in one of these ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Falls ill, he dies, his wife escapes, goes to London, tells her story to the London newspapers, and it's a big scandal, and they're calling Crowley the wickedest man in the world. Right. The great, the great B666. Anyway... So uh, so Kinsey uh, wanted to get hold of Crowley's sex diaries. So he goes to England, and according to Pomeroy, he found them. And it seems mm. like the account, the way it's written, is a little bit clandestine. But it sounds like what happened was Kinsey found the sex diaries, and based upon what he read there, he was compelled to then go to the Abbey Thelema. Uh, and that's where we find him with Kenneth Anger uh, and uh, looking at it. And Pomeroy writes in his book about what they found, how they went there and, and they, they found all these different paintings and images and so on on the walls of these uh, you know, satanic sex orgies that were happening and many of them involving children mm -hmm. because there were apparently right. women who would come from all over the world to be a part of uh, Crowley's cult, and they would sometimes bring their kids with them. They would leave their husband, mm -hmm. bring their young children, and then their children were forced to take part in these rituals. Well, you know, uh, the the picture that you show of of uh, Kinsey and Anger looking at this picture of Crowley there is going to be one of the most chilling images I think yeah. I've ever seen. I remember that picture specifically and going, that's freaky. It just burns in your mind as something where you can just feel evil. Uh, out of that very picture there, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned uh, our listeners may be familiar with Crowley. I think we, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of this interview about a uh, an all-time list of guests that we have on the show in frequency. I think if we had a bad guy list of people whose names he pop on our up show, about every third he, or fourth time, he and Rockefeller yeah. would be neck and neck yeah. on the bad Maybe dude the guys, guy. I, I who, who bad dude guys who come up uh, on our list here. You know, you mentioned a little earlier about. Um, what Kinsey did with this data in terms of going through legislatures and, and tirelessly going across the country trying to change laws uh, to be more uh, sympathetic to people doing what we consider sex crimes and things like this. C can you give us a little taste of the kind of success? What was his legacy, what he did? Well, the, the way that you see Kinsey's legacy, anybody who's been paying attention to the news for the last probably at least 10 years uh, that I can think back, but, but whenever you hear a case of a sex offender, a rapist, a child molester, whoever, 
where he has, you know, two, three, four prior offenses where he's, you know, he raped somebody, he molested a child, did six months or a year in prison and was let back out again or got an early parole and this kind of thing. Whenever we hear those stories, and most Americans are familiar with them, the reason that happens is because of Alfred Kinsey. And his influence continues in our legal system even to this day. Uh, in fact, one of the quotes that we use is that I think it was between somewhere in between the late 90s and, and uh, 2003 or four, there were over 650 citations in Westlaw, which is the, the leading mm -hmm. legal database in, in America. Um, so Kinsey is still affecting our judicial system, still affecting, I mean, the philosophy of Kinsey that these kids are not really being harmed, so you shouldn't give such harsh punishment, that's adopted by many of the judges that are sitting on benches mm -hmm. because they grew up through that, uh, through that generation and so on. And so they don't think it's that big a deal, and so uh, they follow Kinsey's advice. And the pedophiles do the same thing. When they've got Dr. Kinsey telling them that when the kids are screaming, crying, in excruciating pain, hitting, trying to get away, and Kinsey says, no, this is, this is how children have orgasms. Imagine what that does to the mind of a pedophile. Mm -hmm. You know, because NAMBLA, the North American mm -hmm. Man-Boy Love Association, they quote Kinsey. He's their number one guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's their biggest supporter. And uh, for, for the longest time, I don't know if they still do, but for the longest time, NAMBLA would have a picture of Kinsey on their website and a big quote, you know, about how boy lovers everywhere should know Kinsey's work and hold mm -hmm. it dear, et cetera, and so on. And they get a lot of mileage out of that since the government sponsored and endorsed this work. Exactly. It gives an air of legitimacy to what they're doing. It provides a lot of ammunition for de defense lawyers. Uh, when they go in, and uh, or or even like these organizations like NAMBLA that go in and work with legislatures even now, to try to soften these laws, uh, it puts on this cloak of uh, credibility. I'm glad that you document all of this stuff so well in your in in the Kinsey syndrome because I'm sure one or two of our listeners and probably more are going. This is almost too dark to be believed, and but as somebody who's seen an advanced copy of this documentary, mm -hmm. you do. I mean. You do a great do job. Sadly, it's all completely true. It, I, it bogg just hearing you talk about it, it boggles my mind once again how dark well, all of this stuff is. Well, we show, uh, and thanks for saying that, Tom. But we show we show interviews with Dr. Reisman. She's throughout. She does a great job, mm -hmm. uh, and we show clips and interviews with some of Kinsey's own team members yeah. uh, who worked with him, and they're admitting that yes, they worked with pedophiles. And, uh, and now it, it, all of it came out over a number of years because of continued questioning and asking, mm -hmm. and how did you get this, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. It took a while to come out with it. But, uh, yeah, Kinsey mm -hmm. was apparently, he worked with parents, he worked with nursery school uh, teachers, he was working with a pedophile organization, he worked with a Nazi mm -hmm. pedophile, uh, he worked with government employees, he worked with a whole uh, collection of of child predators who were actively mm -hmm. molesting kids for him. I mean, what, his lead pedophile, a guy named Mr. Green, according to his diaries, had molested over 800 children. Just oh, one guy. Man. You know, and the scary thing is, I'm assuming 
these kind of uh, diabolical networks still exist somewhere. That all these children who are missing right now, that it, and it may even be tied back to people in the government. There may be university researchers or others that are part of these networks in the shadows of people you wouldn't expect. People who are watching your children uh, at a daycare or maybe churches even, other kind of civic groups, things well, like this. Well, I remember when I was first uh, starting to look at some of this stuff after watching, watching the advanced copy, mm -hmm. Uh, the name of a the name of a general that was working for uh, a high government mm -hmm. uh, uh, entity, the NSA, came up, and uh, I researched as somebody who was involved in some of this stuff. And I went back and researched it, and he was implicated earlier in his career in not only the uh, not only uh, uh, the Church of Satan, mm -hmm. but also just you know molesting kids at the Presidio in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I this is not tinfoil hat. No, this, this is, is if you if you dare to dig, and people like Brother Chris, you know, take the effort for us to do this. Mm -hmm. The stuff is right out there if you find it, and you find the same characters doing the same kind of thing. Uh, Are you talking about Colonel Aquino? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's who I that, that, at the Presidio. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that I I ran into that stuff while while researching some more background after watching your video, and I that's so dark I can't even believe it. It's yeah. gosh. Well, well, it's you know. I, can, can I say one more thing on this? Right. Can't yeah. influence Mike. Um, uh, one, he he affected the changing of American law to make things easier on rapists and pedophiles because yeah. he said the same thing about mm -hmm. women. He said out of all the women that he interviewed, over four thousand women he interviewed, he says none of them was ever harmed by a sexual encounter. Okay, whereas statistically, one in four women, I think it is, are raped, and obviously they're harmed. But Kinsey mm -hmm. refused to acknowledge harm. He mm -hmm. refused to acknowledge harm. Um, so, so that's one, change the laws. But two, with this now, this idea that the children screaming and so on, that that's orgasm, he changes laws, one, and two, he says, look, this proves that since these kids are having orgasms, this proves that children are sexual from birth, and therefore they should be taught about having sex as soon as possible. And that is the foundation oh, hmm. for sex education. That yep. is the thinking that went into sex education. Okay, right. and and today when when you know when we've got Barack Obama running for president right now, and mm -hmm. when Barack Obama spoke to Planned Parenthood, we show this clip in the film. It's so important for people to understand this. When he's talking to Planned Parenthood, and he says that he he believes in sex education for kindergartners, and he says, uh, you know, uh, age-appropriate sex education, science-based sex education. When they use that term, when Obama and others use the term science-based sex education, the science that they're talking about comes it's from Kinsey. Oh my God! The, this this whole this wholesome <laughs> data. I'm going to hold some research for your, your God, talk. God help us. God, this is... Well, well, I tell you, this is going to be on the Wednesday edition of uh, Future Quake, and it'll be one people won't forget uh, from what we've talked about here. Yeah. If if people drop in for the first time, I tell you, our, our show sometimes boldly goes where no one else goes, but if you've just dropped in today to listen to this segment, I want to assure you this is some of the darkest stuff uh, we ever cover here. But, but sadly, uh, Brother Chris has documented this because we have a crisis with our young people right now. And until we expose what is rotten on the underneath, we're, we're never going to 
fumigated of this evil mm-hmm. that's been put on our society. It's, it's got to be acknowledged and uh, shown to be uh, real and legitimate. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got, I want to ask you another question here, uh, Brother Chris, and that's about another aspect of his work, the pornography industry. How did his work uh, really help jumpstart the pornography industry or really you know, bring it to a new era? What was the legacy there? Well, I, I think, well, one, I think Kinsey was, as far as modern pornography in America is concerned, Kinsey was, I mean, he was himself a pornographer making his sex films up in the attic, which at the time was illegal. He should, And he knew it was illegal, but he was doing it anyway. Um, but when uh, the male volume was released, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male in 1948, the guy who was dramatically influenced by it, among many, but one of them was Hugh Hefner. And Hugh Hefner, you know, wrote a uh, something in his college magazine about it when it was released. And for Hefner, Hefner had, you know, lived his life as a very traditional American guy, and was saving himself for marriage and all this kind of stuff. And then he reads the Kinsey reports, and based upon what Kinsey was telling him, he said, because uh, Kinsey's reporting these high levels of men going to prostitutes, high levels of homosexuality high levels of women having sex outside of wedlock, high levels of women committing adultery, and so on. But the reason he got these high levels was he had gone into the prison system and he was interviewing prisoners and mixing them in with the regular population. He would go and he redefined married women to include any woman who had lived with a man for at least a year, which could include prostitutes who lived with their pimps, okay? Uh, and so, so this is how he's showing high levels of promiscuity, but he didn't he didn't di- differentiate. He didn't say, well, these are the prisoners here and these are the guys on Wall Street over there. He mixed them all in together, all right. And you know, he showed these high levels. And Paul Gephardt, one of his co-authors, admits on camera that Kinsey, at least 55 percent of Kinsey's guys. And the numbers jump around a bit, but from Gephardt, we get 55%, at least 55% were from prison. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this is why he gets these high levels of things going on. Now, he was showing high levels of abortion going on among women, which was simply not true, saying that 50% of married women were having abortions and that 85% of single women were having abortions when they got pregnant, of course. And these things, and the reason again is because he's seeking out prostitutes and you know women from the underworld who didn't at all represent the mainstream of America or even normal America, but it was Kinsey's data that was all, that was used to help bring about Roe v. Wade and to legalize abortion in America. See, Kinsey touches so many different things. There's so many blights on society that can mm-hmm. find a root in him, and, and now when people want to. Uh, have extramarital affairs or infidelity of various types, they can look back to this data and convince themselves and say, well, this is normal and typical, everybody does it, and justify this kind of behavior. Right. Hmm. And that's what that's what Hugh Hefner did. And he, he specifically founded Playboy magazine as a result of being influenced by Kinsey. So he launches Playboy magazine, talks about Kinsey, and his female volume that was getting ready to come out, which was published the same year that Playboy was. Um, and uh, in his 50th anniversary issue, Celebrated Kinsey. 
and was really his, I mean, Hefner is called Kinsey's pamphleteer because mm-hmm. he was putting through his magazines the whole Kinseyan philosophy, Kinsey's whole philosophy uh, about men and women, relationships, marriage, and even pedophilia. Mm-hmm. That's something else that we cover, uh, that uh, through cartoons and child images and so on, Playboy magazine and then later Penthouse and then later Hustler, uh, you know, normalized in a very subtle way the idea of children as sexual objects and then children as objects of, you know, violent sexual objects uh, with a lot of violent uh, imagery against kids. And uh, and Dr. Reisman had a whole study that was done through the Department of Justice on that issue, examining the images in Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler. And we mm-hmm. talk about that in the film as well. But yeah, Kinsey's at the at the very foundation of widespread pornography in America, definitely. Hmm. So, so in other words, the, uh, the, the the these pictures that show um, children being enticed, seduced, and things in these images and the magazines are basically almost like uh, collaborating with a crime that occurs. They're invoking people to commit a crime, are they not? Oh, certainly, and making it all seem to be a joke. I mean, the most extreme for version, I think, was in Hustler magazine, uh, the character Chester the Molester, where, you know, the classic Chester cartoon is you've got Chester sitting naked in a chair, and there's three little girls around him who look like they're eight, nine, mm-hmm. ten years old, and they're they're stripped down to their underwear, and they're tied up. Okay, mm-hmm. and Chester's watching TV, and the blurb on the TV says, "It's eleven o'clock. Do you know where your children are?" You know, mm-hmm. question mark. Ha ha ha! Isn't that funny that this guy kidnapped and is molesting these three kids? That's the kind of cartoon imagery that Hustler mm-hmm. Hustler was the worst, uh, but Playboy mm-hmm. was, you know, more subtle but just as bad mm-hmm. uh, in terms of. Uh, showing kids as sexual objects and, and mm-hmm. penthouse as well. And, and their, show, their charge was to make it mainstream. Exactly, but and, to do it in such a way that people wouldn't actually know what they were seeing. You know, it's like if you make it into a joke, right. it disarms people. Mm-hmm. Right. That's exactly. Um, but you, you mentioned about Planned Parenthood and about sex education. Uh, do you have anything else you can share with us about the extent of where this has gone with sex education? You mentioned kindergarten, uh, where they're doing this. This actually has affected also the psychologists we have today, has it not, even in higher education? Isn't Kinsey pretty much the de facto basis for most sex education of even our own educators that they go and teach to others? Yeah, this, I think, is another area where, where you know, Americans, parents, people who care about ch- Children in our country and who care about our country should, should know Kinsey's not just 1950s. He's 2008. Uh, mm-hmm. You can go to the Kinsey Institute to this day, uh, and they're still funded by tax dollars. There are other institutions. There's the uh, Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. According to Dr. Reisman, the Institute in San Francisco, which was founded by Kinsey's co-author, Wardell Pomeroy, uh, who openly promoted sex between adults and kids. He wrote it in his in his book, Boys and Sex. There are quotes from Pomeroy advocating incest. You know, parents, 
molesting their own kids and saying this is okay. Uh, all of that's completely documented. But these institutions are teaching this philosophy in the field of human sexuality. They teach this in what they call sexology, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with, uh, you know, what, what they call now intergenerational sex, older generation, younger generation. That's what they call it. And they've been trying to normalize this through our education system. But these people at, at the higher levels at Johns Hopkins University Kinsey Institute, Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, and then there's the Institute uh, in, at the University of California, Northridge, uh, with the Sex Institute there, which was uh, begun by Dr. Vern Bulow. Uh, mm-hmm. These people design the thinking and write the books and the essays and so on that becomes the philosophy that's then handed down into our high schools and middle schools and grade schools that becomes Mm -hmm. sex education. Our health classes and then even down earlier than that. Exactly. Now, let me just give you two names, two names that anybody can go look up and read about these guys. Dr. John Money at at Johns Hopkins University and then Dr. Vern Bulow at uh, uh, University of California, Northridge. Now, both of these guys just died, I think, back in 2006, like last year or two. They passed away. But in their lifetimes, hugely influential in the field of sexology and, and you know, psychoanalytical, sexual thinking and all this kind of stuff. Uh, these two guys are associated with a magazine over in the, in the Netherlands called Pydeca the Journal of Pedophilia. Vern Bulow was one of the editors for Pydeca. Okay? In the very first issue of Pydeca, the editors say that the purpose of their magazine is to explore their consciousness as pedophiles. So now you got this guy, Vern Bulow, who's like this leading mind over here mm-hmm. in human sexuality training, who by default is admitting to being a pedophile. Then you've got uh, Dr. John Money, who's huge, hugely influential. In fact, if uh, anybody watches uh, Dateline, their To Catch a Predator series, Mm -hmm. they went at one point, Chris Hansen, I don't think he knew what he was doing. He goes at one point to try and find out, you know, they're doing these sting operations where the pedophiles are coming out of the woodwork left and right. and he, at one point, goes to interview a guy named uh, Fred Berlin, Dr. Fred Berlin at Johns Hopkins University. And Dr. Berlin gives some politically correct-sounding speech about all of this. But Berlin, who's the head of the, the kind of the pedophile treatment center there, is the disciple of Dr. John Money. Hmm. Okay? And he and Money began that pedophile treatment center there. And if you go to their website today, it says that their pedophile treatment center was uh, essentially founded to continue the work of Dr. John Money. Now, bear that in mind as I tell you this next part. Money, back in the 1990s, was interviewed by Pydeca, the Journal of Pedophilia, in which he openly you know, embraced the idea of pedophilia, said that he, he defended it, it should be normalized, 
There's nothing wrong with it. He said he would never turn in a pedophile if he if he knew if one came to him. He would never turn them in. And then, when in the midst of the interview, he gave a hypothetical to the uh, to to Pydika about the issue of consent in relationships. And he says, now he's talking to pedophiles now. He says to them, he says, well, let's say you had a couple. And let's say they were into sadomasochism. And they were into, you know, self-abuse and so Mm -hmm. on. And he says, and let's say they made a death pact. And in one of their sex rituals one of them ends up dying. He says, I, I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that as long as there was consent. Mm-hmm. Now, man. talking to pedophiles, who would the couple be? It would be a man and a boy, mm-hmm. an adult and a child. Who would be most likely to die in some ritual? Sure. It would be the child. Sure. I mean, this is how dark and evil-minded these people are and they've been teaching in our universities teaching our young people teaching uh, our young people so so now you're saying that this this whole subject of pedophilia which none of us likes to think about we all want to push it on our minds but it's not people with dark robes and torches exclusively uh doing this and sweeping children off the streets and doing this these are people with suits people who are well respected with nice positions uh, who are even writing and publishing work like this. The, this is where things have gone in our society today. Absolutely. And, and hand in glove with this, uh, hand in glove with this, is the, the gay rights revolution, the homosexual movement in our country, which is, gets a lot of press because they're trying to push gay marriage. They're trying to get, you know, teaching homosexuality in our schools. Well, again, we go back to Kinsey. When Kinsey published the sex reports, you had Hugh Hefner, who was influenced by it, and then you had another guy named Harry Hay. Harry mm-hmm. Hay read the Kinsey reports, read Kinsey's high percentages of homosexual behavior, which, again, were bogus. They were proven to be bogus later on because every other study, Kinsey said, you know, one in ten, that 10% of American men were gay, mm-hmm. and that 37% had had some kind of a homosexual experience in their life. And a lot of gays draw strength from that. But the reality is, all the later studies that have been done throughout the Western Hemisphere state that it's really 1% of the population admits to being gay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe as much as 2% claim that they've had some kind of a, a homosexual experience at some point. But again, Kinsey used his prison population as right. a normal male. And this has so, a multiplicative effect on society. This data becomes the gospel that gets disseminated everywhere. People adopt it, expand on it, and then right. it just reaches every segment of our society. So Harry Hay reads this stuff, leaves his wife and kids, and goes off to launch the gay rights revolution. Uh, his his mm-hmm. living lover for years was the guy who played the grandfather on the show The Waltons. You guys remember the show The Waltons? Will Gear was that his name? Will Gear was was Harry Hayes' living lover for years. Uh, it was was kind of sad, you know. I used to like The Waltons, but it's it's hard to think about it now. But anyway, uh, so Harry Hay starts the 
gay rights revolution. He's their Messiah. Now, this is a guy who throughout his life not only promoted the rights of homosexuals, but hand in glove with it the rights of NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. And we show a picture of him in, our, in McKinsey Syndrome uh, marching in a gay, gay pride parade, and he's got on his back a sign that reads, NAMBLA walks with me. Okay? Oh. And so the homosexual rights movement and the what is called the pedophile liberation movement uh, have been walking hand in glove uh, throughout you know, the last 50 years. And while a lot of gays obviously would not endorse uh, pedophilia, to be fair, you know, mm-hmm. to be fair, you have to say that, but, uh, but still the, the links and the associations with Kinsey, Harry Hay, uh, and so on, and then in the adult gay male community, the, you know, the, the level of discussion and conversation that goes on, like in the gay dictionaries and their magazines and so on, their discussions about sex with underage boys are, I mean, it's just overwhelming. It's the number one topic of conversation. Sure, sure. And, 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 and yeah, there's something there because that even goes back millennia. There's been a tendency, you know, in Greece and things like this, and it's been something that's, that's tried to be controlled, but now it's anything goes. Yeah. And and it's 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 very alarming, you know, gay marriage is one thing, that's the whole issue. But the idea of now trying to teach this to our children in public schools and making it mandatory, okay, I think is just is very, very dangerous. We've got mm-hmm. most people don't know, we've got fifteen to eighteen thousand people a year who are dying of AIDS in this country. Mm-hmm. 15 to 18,000 people a year. According to the White House statistics, the White House, two young people aged 13 to 25 contract HIV every hour in America. Mm. By the hour. Mm. Brother Brother Chris, we're coming up to the last five minutes of our show. And and, uh, I want to, if you can give me a a little one-minute summary for Tom and I, uh, where do you think... This is going forward. I mean, it's it's horrible enough where you say where we are right now. Where do you think this is going forward? And then we want to just conclude by any words you can say what we can do to stand up to this threat or protect our families and, and, and then how to get to your, your documentary. Well, uh, oh, gosh, how do I wrap all that up? Where do I think it's it's headed? Well, I you know, as I said earlier, I go back to Bible prophecy. And I think when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, uh, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. I think that's the direction that the world is headed, and I think it's the direction that America's headed. Um, so and it could still get worse. It it could still get worse, and it, and it probably will. A lot, I think, is going to be determined in this upcoming election. Uh, if if Barack Obama is elected, and again, I'm not necessarily promoting. I know people, you know, a lot of Christians have issues with John McCain. But with Barack Obama especially, because Barack Obama is full-on in, in approval and support of, uh, of the gay community, gay marriage, I mean, the whole agenda, um, a, a huge push in, in the direction of, kin, of fully embracing Kinsey's philosophy at every level, uh, a huge push could certainly happen. Uh, but we'll mm-hmm. see you know, what's going to take place here uh, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and the irony is uh, when our listeners hear this, this will already be decided, so the die will be cast uh, at that particular time. What can they do? If you've got, uh, say, a minute or so to wrap up, what, what, what can, can we do with our families to protect them from this environment? Well, uh, I would certainly encourage homeschooling or private schooling. You know, my wife and I, we send our daughters to a, a private Christian school uh, where, they're, where they're not going to be, be teaching sex education as they do in public schools. But if for whatever reason your kids are in public school, I would say get involved. Find out what materials they're using to teach sex education to your children and see if there are links there to Kinsey. Mm-hmm. And if so, I would form a parents group. I would I would get active. I would confront the school on these issues. Get a copy of the Kinsey syndrome, uh, you know, uh, or get a copy of some of Dr. Reisman's uh, books and publications and so on, and confront the school board with it, and try to drive uh, Kinsey out of the classroom, mm-hmm. and don't allow your children to be corrupted by it, uh, because it's it's it if once once you understand sex education, sex education in our public schools has essentially been designed by pedophiles. Mm -hmm. And these are the last people in the world that we want giving instruction to our children uh, about, you know, who they are and Mm -hmm. how they ought to relate to one another and so on. But if we as parents and we as the American people, if we don't stand up and lift up a shout against this thing, they are only going to keep moving forward because Mm -hmm. they have no intention of backing down. That's plain if Mm -hmm. you study the movement. But action on a school board would certainly be a good thing to do, right? I think that's some and, and to contact your you know, your your state representatives, your congressmen, mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. people in, in positions of authority who can help you and do something uh, mm-hmm. about it, certainly. But I think it's gotta be there's gotta be a grassroots level uh you know, done by people at a at a local level. You've got to affect mm-hmm. your school, your right. library, mm-hmm. wherever it is, uh and and be aware of how these things work because a lot of people don't know so many people will hear barack obama say you know science-based sex education and they'll think that sounds like a good idea right but they don't know what's behind it well and be prepared to fight for your children uh exactly. in conclusion in the last 30 seconds or so we have can you tell us quickly again how our listeners can get a hold of your uh, documentary you can go to our website which is adullamfilms.org and it's uh, Adullam A as an apple, mm-hmm. Alpha, Delta, Unicorn, <laughs> uh, Lemon, Lemon, Alpha, Mother. A D U L L A M. Sorry, guys. That was it'll, it'll, be a, it'll be a futurequake.com. We'll, we'll have it up there like usual. Uh, oh, and I, I, I just recommend everybody get it. Uh, we got to run, but I would like for you to come back and, and come back in a couple of months and tell us about a couple of new productions you have coming out. Okay, brother, I'd love to do it. Thank you so much for joining us for this yeah, interview. This I hope it. I hope it's uh, shaking people and it shakes them to action. And the first step is to get this documentary. Thank you so much for joining us, brother Chris. Okay. All right, brothers. God bless you both. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is Friday. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll go through this exercise again. Tom, what is it today? Veterans Day. I knew you should have thought I was going to do that. Uh, 
we are air, we are <laughs> recording this on Veterans Day. We're sort of giving away as pre-recorded. This is going to be played on a Friday. Yes, I know. Okay. But I just, I just couldn't pass that one up. Uh huh. Yeah, you've been you've been waiting a week for that one, haven't you? <laughs> I thought about drive, driving over to the Future Quake Studio well, right I'm, when I was coming through the front gate. I'm, I'm glad gosh. you made your time well suited for yeah. our listeners. It is tomorrow's Tremors, or today's review of the Futures News, mm-hmm. where we get to take time and actually uh, reflect on uh, the week in the news and what's going on. Reflect, reflection and refraction. And yeah, and we've had a, uh, a very interesting show this week with Chris Pinto uh, talking about uh, the... Uh, Kinsey, uh, Kinsey reports and the Kinsey syndrome, and I'm sure it's quite provocative. We'd love to have emails from you all and what you all think about it. But we have a number of stories to go through. Uh, who do you want to go first? Uh, rock, paper, scissors? Go for it. Just call it. Okay. I'll go first this time. Okay. Lay it on us, buddy. All right. This one is from Bloomberg.com, uh, you know, Bloomberg News Service. Uh, the name of this one is called Fed Defies Transparency, Transparency Aim in Refusal to Disclose. Um, what's going on here? Let me let me get into this. The Federal Reserve is refusing to identify the recipients recipients of almost two trillion in emergency loans from American taxpayers, or the troubled assets the central bank is accepting as collateral. Federal Chairman Ben S. Bernanke and Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson said in September they would comply with congressional demands for transparency in a 700 billion bailout of the banking system. Two months later. As the Fed lends far more than than that in separate rescue programs that didn't require approval by Congress, Americans have no idea where their money is going or what securities the banks are pledging in return. Okay. So they're literally, uh, they said, we'll be transparent with your money. We right. really will. And that now, was one of the criteria for them to get the yeah. bank when the bailout was voted and for. And now they're not. Now let me, I can't believe your premise. Are you saying... That our own government misled us when at the time to vote something, and then did something differently after the vote. No, I'm not saying that. that. I'm just saying the uh, the entire Treasury Treasury Secretary staff and his staff, and the entire the federal chairman, the Fed chairman and his staff, and everybody else in between, and everybody who wrote the bills, and everybody who pitched the bills. Only those people. Okay. okay. Yeah, I am saying that. <laughs> Yeah, I just wish we were like civil rights attorneys or something where we could bring suits against these people. Well, and just haul them into court. You might be, uh, you might end up being spitzered. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. Or, or like the, the Washington madam. Yeah, or wind up hanging from a rafter or something. Yeah. You know. I'm so glad we're so irrelevant. Yeah. What is that? What is that we say every once in a while? It look unimportant. The enemy may be low on ammo. There you go. There you go. Okay, what else you got there? Uh, Bloomberg News has requested details of the Fed lending under the U.S. Freedom of Information Act and filed a federal lawsuit November 7th seeking to force disclosure. The Fed made the loans under terms of 11 programs, eight of them created in the past 15 months in the midst of the biggest financial crisis since the Great Depression. Wow. It's your money. It's not the Fed's money, said billionaire Ted Forstman, senior partner of Forstman Little & Company in New York. Of course there should be transparency. And, of course, there should be transparency. It's our money. It's right. your money. It's my money. It's everybody's money who pays into the tax system. But it's And one of the conditions was it was going to be transparent. And now, just two months later, they're not even bothering with it. Just two months later, 
It's not like it's years down the road. It's where after thought, the election. Yeah, things have changed. You know, the 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 people who voted out there mm-hmm. didn't even remember who was it voted for the bailout or didn't care. Most of those people were voted back into office, weren't they? Yes. That's when I sometimes feel like we're beating our head against the wall in this place. Me too. You know. Well, we're not by any walls, but I just keep I'm remembering sorry. that poem that was it Robert Hyde that sent us or you that was called the Remnant or that little article. I believe that was Robert. Uh, about how you have to sort of focus on trying to rescue a remnant. Yes. Don't focus on everybody or you'll just be frustrated. Well, you know, and I think there might be there might be wisdom in that. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm we're starting preaching, to think that maybe too. we're preaching to the remnant and not the mass. All right, the remnant. Right. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> the folks that listen to our show, I have found to be some of the most intelligent. Oh yeah. People who get it of anybody. So uh, I hope if. Uh, if we do end up in the roving street gangs that take over, you know, our cities of the world, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that our listeners are the elite that are able to live behind ivory-towered walls and use yeah. everyone else's serfs. Yeah, well, we're really trying to preach to the to the rich elite, really. Yeah, that, yeah. Are, that are Christians yeah. and good godly Christians, yes. too. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that made it clear. I've got a story for us. <laughs> this is my longest one of the time, but okay. it, it's still not real long. The rest of them I have are just very brief. The, um, Chuck Baldwin, who we've had on our show before and mm-hmm. who just had a run for president on the Constitution Party, mm-hmm. had his first article with his comments on the election. He's probably now just catching his breath. This was div- uh, dated November 7th, so okay. this was like hot off the presses from that. His title of his article is Conservatives Lost More Than Election. That Barack Obama trounced John McCain last Tuesday should have surprised no one. In fact, in this column weeks ago, I stated emphatically that John McCain could no more beat Barack Obama than Bob Dole could beat Bill Clinton. He didn't. In fact, I've even compared uh, uh, Bob Dole and John McCain. Hmm. Uh, Hence, a vote for John McCain was a wasted vote, was it not? Oh, I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. Everybody talks to me says, if I don't vote for John McCain... Well, I'm doing the devil's work. He's saying if he couldn't win, it's just equally a wasted vote. He says, I also predicted that Obama would win with an electoral landslide. He did. The real story, however, is not how Barack Obama defeated John McCain. The real story is how John McCain defeated America's conservatives. For all intents and purposes, conservatism as a national movement is completely and thoroughly dead. Barack Obama did not destroy it, however. Uh, it was George W. Bush and John McCain who destroyed conservatism in America. And I, I will say also that oh, totally. uh, Joseph Farah has also echoed these exact words. Also, Cal Thomas has also recently said this. He said conservatism is dead, well, and Christians need to focus on their role in ask, the church. Ask any conservative, say, and I, I like doing this, what are five conservative principles that you agree with? And they stare at me like I'm, I got like <laughs> three heads and I turned purple. <laughs> That's such a simple question, but it's an error yeah. on Small government, uh, limited interference, no Fed, no income tax, maybe. Although that's really these yeah. days more liber- liberal, right. uh, not liberal, right. uh, libertarian. Right. But, you know, you get the point. Anti-abortion, mm-hmm. um, you know, family values. Fight people, lots of places. Yeah. Bomb, go to exciting uh, remote places and bomb them. Meet interesting people <laughs> and kill them. <laughs> Uh, soon after George W. Bush was elected, it became quickly obvious he was no conservative. On the contrary, George Bush has forever established himself as a big government, warmongering, internationalist neocon. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Now, he meant that in a nice way, I'm sure. Oh, very nice. Making yeah. matters worse was the way Bush presented himself as a conservative Christian. In fact, Bush's portrayal of himself as a conservative Christian paved the way for the betrayal and ultimate destruction of conservatism, something I predicted years ago. And the greatest tragedy of this deception is the way that Christian conservatives so thoroughly and stupidly swallowed the whole Bush-McCain neocon agenda. He's pulling no punches in this article. He's being very, very, yeah, very withdrawn. Yeah. You're right. For example, Bush and his fellow neocons like to categorize and promote themselves as being pro-life, but they have no hesitation or reservation about killing hundreds of thousands of innocent people in reckless and unconstitutional foreign wars. By the same token, how many unborn babies were saved by six years of all three branches of federal government being under the control of these, quote, pro-life neocons? Not one. Ask the more than 8 million unborn babies who were killed in their mother's wombs during the last eight years how pro-life George W. Bush and John McCain are. Same question I've raised many times. Well, uh, you know, we often get, I think we often get get uh, poo-pooed by a lot of people for, uh, you know, expressing sympathy with Ron Paul's views, but mm-hmm. wasn't he... Maybe one of the only, perhaps even the only person. Uh, of these leaders, he's the only one who's ever actually submitted legislation to protect yes. the unborn. Yes. And evangelicals rejected him. Uh, <clears throat> as a result of this insanely inconsistent and pixelated punditry, millions of cons- Americans now laugh at the very notion of, quote, pro-life conservatism. Bush and McCain made a mockery of the very term. Consider, too, the way Bush and McCain have allowed the international bankers on Wall Street to bilk America's taxpayers out of trillions of dollars. Yes, I know Obama also supported the Wall Street bailout, but it was the Republican Party that controlled the White House for the last eight years and the entire federal government for six of the last eight. In fact, the GOP uh, has won seven out of previous ten presidential elections. They've controlled Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court appointments for the past 30-plus years. They've appointed the majority of Treasury Secretaries and Federal Reserve Chairmen. They've presided over the greatest trade imbalances, the biggest deficits, the biggest spending increases, and now the worst financial disaster since the Great Depression. Again, the American people look at these so-called, quote, conservatives and laugh. No wonder such a sizable majority of voters yawned when John McCain tried to scare them by accusing Barack Obama of being a, quote, big taxer. How can one possibly scare people with a charge like that after the GOP has made total mockery of fiscal conservatism? That's like trying to scare someone coming out of a swim from the Gulf of Mexico with a squirt gun. Then there was the pathetic attempt by the <laughs> National... <laughs> He's got away with words. That's right. The pathetic attempt by the National Rifle Association, NRA, to scare gun owners regarding an Obama White House. Remember that John McCain is the same guy that the NRA rightly condemned for proposing his blatantly unconstitutional McCain-Feingold bill. Mm-hmm. McCain is also the same guy that tried to close down gun shows. He also made a personal campaign appearance for a pro-gun-controlled liberal in the state of Oregon a few short years ago. In fact, the gun owners of America gave McCain a grade of F for his dismal record on Second Amendment issues. Once again, Chicken Little-style paranoia over Barack Obama rang hollow when the alternative was someone as liberal as John McCain. Well, didn't he didn't he seriously consider running with uh, as John Kerry's vice president? It almost happened. It came yeah. with an eyelash of happening where he was going to run, switch mm-hmm. parties to Democrat in 2004, and run his camp. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is nothing saying that we should treat Barack Obama lightly. Heaven no. forbid that. Sure. And that will be very clear in the days ahead. 
This just makes clear what we've done and how we've been dealt with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the worst calamity of this election was the way conservatives, especially Christian conservatives, surrendered their principles for the sake of political partisanship. The James Dobsons of this country should hang their heads in shame. Not only did they lose an election, they lost their integrity. That's pretty strong words there. Mm. In South Carolina, for example, pro-life Christians and conservatives had an opportunity to vote for a principled conservative constitutionalist for the U.S. sentence. Sentence, excuse me, Senate. Freudian slip there. He is a pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-traditional marriage. He believes in securing our borders against illegal immigration. He is against the bailout of Wall Street bankers. His conservative credentials are unassailable. But the vast majority of Christian conservatives, including those at Bob Jones University, voted for his liberal opponent instead. Mm. The man that the vast majority of Christian conservatives voted for in South Carolina is a big government neocon. He supported the bailout of Wall Street bankers. He is a rabid supporter of granting amnesty and a pathway of citizenship for legal aliens. In fact, this man has a conservative rating of only 29% in the current Freedom Index of New American Magazine. Hmm. Why did conservative Christians support the liberal neocon and not the solid pro-life conservative? Because the conservative ran as a Democrat and the neocon as a Republican. I'm talking about a race between Bob Conley and Lindsey Graham, of course. Had South Carolina's pastors, Christians, evangelicals, and pro-life conservatives voted for Bob Conley, he would be the new senator-elect from that state. In fact, Bob was so conservative that the Democratic leadership in South Carolina endorsed the Republican Lindsey Graham. No matter, a majority of evangelical <laughs> yeah. a majority of evangelical Christians in South Carolina stupidly rejected Bob Conley and voted for Graham. Across the country, rather than stand on principle, hundreds of thousands of pastors, Christians, and pro-life conservatives capitulated and groveled before John McCain's neocon agenda. In doing so, they forfeited any claim to truth and they abandoned any and all fidelity to constitutional government. They should rip the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of their Bibles. They should never again tell their children, parishioners, or radio audiences the importance of standing for truth and principle. They have made a mockery of Christian virtue. No wonder a majority of the voting electorate laughs at us Christians. No wonder the GOP crashed and burned last Tuesday. Again, it wasn't Barack Obama who destroyed conservatism. It was George W. Bush, John McCain, and the millions of evangelical Christians who supported them. And until conservatives find their backbone and their convictions, they deserve to remain a burnout, has-been political force. They have no one to blame but themselves. And since it is unlikely that the Republican Party has enough sense to understand any of this, and will therefore do little to reestablish genuine conservative principles, it is probably best just to go ahead and bury the scoundrels now and move on to something else. Without a sincere commitment to constitutional government, the GOP has no justifiable reason to ever govern again. Therefore, put a fork in them. They are done. Let a new entity arise from the ashes, one that will stand for something more than just the lesser two evils. As we say in the South, that dog just don't hunt anymore. Well, there you go. I think he's pretty fired up. What do you think? Yeah, I think he is. So, there you go. Put that yeah. in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, I want to thank you, Chuck Baldwin, for being out there and giving me somebody to vote for that yeah. I can be proud to vote for. And when you get time to catch your breath, spend some time with your family, yeah. catch up, we'd like to have you back on the show if you can find a moment. Yeah. Okay, hit us with another story there. Sorry that one was long, but yeah. I thought okay. that was just a good coda to the election. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, you know, you're talking about, uh, um, you know, no backbone and all that stuff. 
Here's some other. Is this about invertebrates? Yeah, this okay. is actually about uh, new amoebas they've okay. found off the coast of, I don't know, Swahili. All right. No. Um, this is from the Denver Post. When a Jefferson County deputy unleashed pepper spray at, at unruly protesters on the first night of the Democratic National Convention, he did not know what his targets were under, that his targets were undercover Denver police officers. Now the American Civil Liberties Union of Colorado is questioning whether that staged confrontation by police pretending to be violent and flame protesters or other officers during... Why did you read that like that? Because I want people to understand that police were working at working as staged working at a staged confrontation by police pretending to be violent inflamed protesters okay i think i get it you're saying that police intentionally provoked an incident by actually causing it by actually being the people that are causing the big ruckus so if that is true and they admit it that means when we watch on tv other disturbances and riots and stuff like that. We can't point to just those crazy, nutty kid anarchists. There may be government people on TV doing that. So we've lost yet another ability to... <laughs> well, I'm sorry I'm a little slow, Tom. Yeah, I know. I but, know. But, I mean, basically, not only is that shocking that you read that, but that what what it says now is we never can trust for sure that what they're showing us on TV in the video and what they said is is right. Yep. That's it. This is the... This is the Rubicon as such. They've now come out in a major newspaper and admitted and they that crossed they staged, it. Yeah, they've they're over it. They're on the other side. They're okay. still a little wet, combing their hair back, going, "What now?" So don't believe anything you can see. Now, how are we going to actually convince people we're not just FBI plants here in Future Quake? Well, uh, the fact that we're both wearing suits right now might not be a good thing. And sunglasses. Yeah, I'm going to take. Might want to take the earpieces out of our yeah. out of our ears. Well, if we're going to be government plants, we need to find a more lucrative way to do it. Yeah. I really saw myself more as a banana plant, really. Okay. All right. Than a government plant. Well, onward. I digressed. The protest occurred August 25th at 15th Street and Court Place near the Civic Center. Police ultimately arrested 106 people, the highest number of arrests in a single day during the convention. Okay. So uh, I, I made my earlier point clear. Uh, according to the use of force police report obtained by the ACLU, undercover Denver detectives staged a struggle with a police commander to get pulled out of the crowd without blowing their cover. The commander knew they were working undercover, and the plan was to pull them out of the crowd and pretend they were under arrest so protesters would be none the wiser. A Jefferson County deputy, unaware of the presence of undercover police, thought that the commander was being attacked and used pepper spray on the undercover officers. The report says the commander and an undercover detective were sprayed, but it does not indicate how many others were effective were affected. The report also doesn't say whether the pepper spray used on the undercover police was the first deployment of chemicals that night or whether the riot was already underway. Well, I'm sure that they have video of that somewhere. I would almost mm -hmm. guarantee that somebody somewhere has video of that, so it would be easy to see. Um, there we go. I mean, it's... <laughs> well... Regardless of what else you said, I'm still thinking about the fact, like you say, yeah, they, they admit that they are instigating yeah, a ruckus yep, as plants. That staged confrontation by police pretending to be violent, inflamed protesters. So if you ever start a movement, a, a nonviolent protest against the government, and it grows like a Ron Paul revolution or mm -hmm. something else, 
you can almost guarantee that those kind of people are going to be put into the mix trying to cause problems to discredit mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yes. So then they can sort of yank out mm-hmm. the guys who are the ringleaders. Yes. Uh, oh, here's something that I'd like to add. I, we'll get through this here in a minute. Okay. What are we doing on time? Well, well you got about five. Okay. Well, we'll I ju- I, I'll just hit a couple of little bullet points okay. here. Uh, just go to the Denver Post if you want to read the article uh, in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Denver police have said they were trying to control a crowd moving from Civic Center. Good way mm-hmm. to do it. Okay. Implant, you know, uh, undercover police and... Uh, Provoke a violent, inflamed. <laughs> what do they think this is? A free country? Sure, they've got to control people. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the officers testified in court that they had intelligence that anarchists planned to gather in the park, then move toward the 16th Street Mall to wreak havoc at delegate hotels and other businesses. The activists had posted that plan on a publicly available website. Well, um, I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe not. Mm. At this point, we can't. They're, the entirety of the trust of the Denver police is... is Lost their integrity. Yeah. We now, I can't, we, now they have... Everything they say has to be fact-checked and looked at, in my opinion, for the Denver police. Um, you know, that's that, those are the main bullet points. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. It, it, that's very interesting because people who, who might be involved in activist pursuits mm-hmm. need to hang on to that story. They might have to present it in court one day. Mm-hmm. And say, who do you, how do you, how do we know that the people who caused a ruckus that you end up pulling all of us in were not plants? Yeah. Because now we have smoking gun evidence that these are tactics that are used. Well, the ACLU, here, one final point. The ACLU contends videos show that protesters, as well as other otherwise uninvolved onlookers, were never ordered or given a chance to disperse before they were surrounded and detained by police. Okay. Nice. So, uh, from, from the bullet points of this article, what it seems like mm-hmm. is these undercover op- officers staged an inflamed ruckus with a police commander mm-hmm. were sprayed, and then everybody was arrested. I don't even think they did that in Tiananmen Square. I, I, I think they at least gave them time to disperse. Or, yeah, they gave them like know, three days. Let people do their own thing. I mean, thing. eventually they rolled tanks over them. But, yeah, but they had it good you know, back then. Well, wow, amazing. What do you say? Well, we got just a couple minutes. You want me to just get a few highlights to cheer us up on Obama's executive Woo-hoo! order plans? I'm feeling it, good. Since now. we said a few bad things about McCain, <laughs> let's say a few uh, Obama things here. Oh, there's here. a long list. This is from Washington AP. Um, uh, President-elect Obama plans to use executive powers to make an immediate impact when he takes office, reversing administ- Bush administration policies on stem cell research and domestic drilling for oil. John Podesta, Obama's transition chief, says Sunday Obama is reviewing President Bush's executive orders on issues and others as he works to undo policies enacted during the eight years. Uh, he says the president can use such orders to move quickly on his own, basically without any kind of checks and balance, yeah. uh, no matter who the president is. There's a lot a president can do using his executive authority without waiting for congressional action. And, I, and you know, this is the thing that Bush really got going. Yeah. Big time. Well, Clinton, sure. too. Well, Clinton made yeah, a big thing of it. The point is that there's nothing even in the Constitution about now, this. Now they all want to you know? build. Yeah, they all want to like beat to each other. Is, uh, is to with with Obama's executive authority actually get a get you know a couple of pounds of gold together and some precious jewels and actually make himself a crown. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, let's let's just come right out with how about with some lights in the back that makes that little light halo like they have on the artwork. Oh yes, kind of a like kind of like a halo a thing. Of candles and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're about out of time here, so uh, 
I don't see here. He's just going to do executive orders on embryonic stem cell research so we can start killing more people, not just babies. Mm-hmm. And um, so, anyway, he's going to do more drilling, or, right. or stop drilling, excuse me. And uh, I think I'm going to have to back call it a day on it. Let's see what All we've right. got here. Um, he wants to stop drilling, you know, because we've got so much extra energy already. Mm-hmm. Um Mike Pence is going to take over the number three leadership post in House Republicans. That's good That's news. Yeah. He stood against the uh, the bailout. Uh, Rahm Emanuel did not say whether Obama would turn to, return to the Senate for votes. Now, I believe Rahm Emanuel said that he would like to see a uh, a return. Well, not a return, but he would like to institute a program whereby all people uh, between 18 and 25 uh, would serve in some way, shape, or form, either in the military. He said it was mandatory until people made a ruckus, a few independent media, and then they took it down from the website. Yes. So. Yeah, uh, that was hard to find. I saw that quote, and then I went yeah. looking for qualification. Man, it was hard to find. We must have independent media. And we got to go, but we got to bring in Merv okay. first. So, Merv, come in and tell our listeners how they can let us know what they think about FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. We're going over now. Any last words? It's dark. We need to have more Tomorrow's Tremors. We've got lots more stories stacking up. Uh, Come back next week for a great show. And until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Like a fresh new breeze Let the old